Welcome to the 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating the principles of life, liberty, and property. You are listening to season three, Property. Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast. You are going to love the guest that, uh, that I have on today. His, uh, his name is George Gilder, and he is uh, the senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, and he is the original pillar of supply-side economics and was also a former speechwriter to uh, President Reagan. And uh, he's authored a, a number of books, but his original classic uh, was called Wealth and Poverty that was written in the early 80s. And he's also a New York Times bestselling author uh, with his book that was written right after the financial crisis called The Scandal of Money, or I guess kind of during the financial crisis. And uh, he also has written a new book that has come out this past year, which is called after or Life After Google, The Fall of Big Data and the Rise of the Blockchain Economy. Uh, George, it's, uh, it's awesome to have you on. It really is an honor. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. So, George, the, the first question I'd like to, to ask you or maybe have you explain something is with all the background, the extensive background that you have, would you, would you describe to, to me and to the audience your, your general philosophy about life, economics, business, and, and entrepreneurship? Well, I focus on human creativity. I don't believe that entrepreneurs are a function of their environment. I don't believe that, that they are motivated by immediate carrots and sticks in a Skinner box model of economic agentry. I, I believe that there's such a thing as de novo creativity, and it always comes as a surprise. That's what measures it. That's what really signifies it. Creativity comes as a surprise to us, and if it didn't, we wouldn't need it, <laughs> and socialism would work. But the... Big discovery I made really in the recent years, um, discovery at Discovery Institute, was allowed me to link uh, the creativity of enterprise to the surprise of information, as Claude Shannon himself defined it. Information is unexpected bits and. And uh, Claude Shannon is the founder of, the, of much of the science behind global telecom, behind the internet, mm. behind uh, the, uh, basic principles of computer science. And, and so there's a vast mathematical apparatus that demonstrably functions successfully in communications that also imported to other sciences, and I'm doing it in economics. So looking where we're at as, as a society, what are, what are some things that you're excited about when it comes to uh, creativity and it comes to innovation? Uh, and then also, what are some things that are concerning to you? Well, uh, certainly uh, the rise of what I call a cryptocosm was uh, unexpected. I, I wrote a book called uh, the Microco- called Microcosm years ago, 
1990 or even before, and uh, which described the origins and development and potential and prospect microchip as the major scientific development of the century. And uh, that led to life at television. If if, uh, you really could manipulate matter interiorly from the inside using the insights of quantum physics, it would be possible to create all sorts of machines that far excelled the television set. And so, and among them in life after television, I said would be the dominant computer of the future. It would be as portable as your watch. It would be as personal as your wallet. It would recognize speech. It would navigate streets. It would collect your news and your mail. It just might not do windows, but do doors. And that was read by Steve Jobs and passed around to colleagues. And, and so I like to think I had a vague role in at least um, encouraging the revolution in communications that now is erupting all around us with the phones. But... Uh, Simultaneously uh, with the smartphone has uh, come a strange sort of concentration of computing in the in in the cloud, uh, embodied in these giant data centers, perched by rivers or glaciers, and <laughs> in order to uh, carry away the heat and and. It seems to me that that uh, particular technology is about to become obsolete, despite it having a, having had a wonderful, prosperous uh, fifteen years or so. So what do you? So this obsolescence. What do you? What do you attribute that to? Well, to uh, the. Uh, what I call Bell's Law. This is Gordon Bell, who was one of the was the technical chief at Digital Equipment, a fellow at Microsoft. And he said that um, every 10 years, first of Moore's Law, which is the doubling of microchip capabilities every 18 months to two years, yields a hundred or more fold rise in computing capabilities. And that, in turn, requires a completely new computer architecture. And uh, we've had our Bell's Law run with uh, giant data centers and big data agglomerations, and, and we're back to a new era of the cryptocosm where everything gets distributed again across the whole network. And we have uh, real security achieved through a wide distribution of information rather than through concentration of it in a few giant places, which in fact are 
are vulnerable to hackers. As we know, there's a complete collapse of security evident across the country today. And, and you, so looking at the solution to this and looking at the technology that will re- replace these, you know, I would say security voids is, is uh, tied to blockchain. So would you, would you describe what you are looking at, what you're seeing, uh, what you're studying about that, you know, will eventually uh, displace uh, data centers or at least make them more, more secure by distributing that information, as you said? Right. Uh, well, the current security model is uh, to um, make everybody to impose the entire burden on uh, the individual users on the edge of the network. They have to uh, learn a username, password, and PIN, and, and back up security questions and, and addresses and whatever for each of their hundreds or even possibly thousands of web pages where they might conduct transactions of some, some form. And this is an absurd system that doesn't work. And and, uh, blockchain does is give each person uh, control over their identity and uh, and, uh, their content and their data and uh, have all the web pages respond to the identities of this particular users across the internet. And that system makes sense. It corresponds to the distribution of human minds around the world. They are not all concentrated in one agglomeration somewhere. They are separate and distributed. And uh, technologies function best if they correspond to the orientations of they're users, and uh, users are human minds, which are distributed and and unique, and and uniquely identified, and uh, don't have thousands of different uh, passwords and usernames and and data points associated with them. So, th- so on on the topic of blockchain i mean this this year and i would say probably half the the end of 2017 there there was a a a large spike as far as awareness to what blockchain was so would you would you discuss what you see as the the barrier uh that is preventing uh widespread adoption of of blockchain and and then you know what is in the works right now that is uh, going to allow wider spread adoption. I, I don't. I, I think the adoption is phenomenally and amazingly fast. I don't think it's uh, any problem except the usual. Uh, what I call a diving board model of entrepreneurship. 
leadership. Uh, the entrepreneur gets up on the diving board and preens and proclaims his intent to perform incredible daring do in the air and <laughs> and uh and then he makes his dive he raises money and his dive and uh he doesn't uh doesn't and all the people sitting around the swimming pool or whatever think hey he's never gonna come up again he's he's gone look at him and just it, it's it, and look, he's not here. This is he's under <laughs> underwater, and uh, and so and you, they raise all sorts of questions, and and of course, half the divers don't ever return to the surface. Maybe more, <laughs> but forty-six uh, percent of all uh, uh, you know new uh, crypto tokens went bust in the first year so it's it's a perilous field entrepreneurship mm -hmm. but uh it's what's going on with the blockchain is amazingly impressive and, and the most amazing evidence of it is as a remedy to the terrible collapse of i and and public stock market presence in the United States. I mean, we've since uh, in the last 20 years, we've lost half our public companies. Uh, the stock market is all, is less than half as, as big a number of public companies as 20 years ago. Its uh, number of IPOs has dropped 90%. And just one of these blockchain projects, Ethereum, with its ERC-20 tokens, has uh, uh, provided a remedy for the IPO dearth already. Mm -hmm. uh, they've uh, raised some 20 billion bucks in the last 12 months for uh, more than 2,000 companies. And... Uh, and and it's uh, while creating a new global computer platform, a new uh, Ethereum, a new computer language, Solidity for programming smart contracts on Ethereum using the Ether currency, which in turn has a root in a new concept of value called gas. It's an amazing, uh, ambitious project by the Vitalik Buterin, who I think will go down as one of the great entrepreneurs in, in uh, the history of capitalism. And this is uh, the beginning. There's thousands of companies and ventures. And of course, since they raised, just raised their money in the last 12 months or so, most of them, uh, they haven't risen grandly to the surface of the entrepreneurial pool yet. Uh, but they're going to, and there's going to be all kinds of new ventures that promise to transform finance and and uh, content usage, publication. Uh, and among the and uh, I like Brendan Ike's brave uh, as uh, kind of a spearhead, but there are lots of others. Okay, you just went through. 
things that I have questions on about pretty much every every sentence. But let me let me maybe uh, summarize summarize a few a few of the questions. So so first, are you saying that that blockchain uh, is is already being uh, mass and widely widely adopted? Uh, and and maybe I should start with with asking what do you consider uh, yes, about- widely adopted? It's adopted among startups with business plans that are phenomenally ambitious and uh, promise to create a whole new internet architecture. Uh, It it hasn't been adopted in the sense of being used by everybody across the internet yet because it's in the entrepreneurial stage rather than in the mass consumer stage. So what what comes after that, that? I think that answer right there, that statement you just made, uh, helps because if because I think what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is right now you know over the last you know just a year year or so, there's been a tremendous amount of money raised in an atypical atypical manner, and in the entrepreneurial phase, there are business plans that are. Uh, essentially either going to replace or improve on existing businesses or systems uh, that uh, exist at present. Uh, and, it, and so correct me if I'm wrong there, but I, I would love for you to comment on the, the stock market one more time. Cause I agree. I mean, if you look at the majority of, you know, the, uh, the, the markets, it's, it's, it's held by, te- you know, the, the tech companies, right? And I think the, the FANG stocks, have just a massive, massive, you know, influence over, over, you know, the S and P alone. So would you talk about that fact and, you know, raising money through blockchain, okay. And the reality and the fact that it's already uh, occurred, but then how that will influence the, the, you know, traditional markets. No, well, uh, there's fewer than, Half as many companies as there were 20 years ago, as I yeah. said, and a 90% drop in IPOs. And, and so uh, the idea that we're in an unsustainable stock market boom is really uh, uh, del- uh, we're, we're in a stock market boom led by four companies, Apple, yeah. Amazon, them with trailer valuations and Google with 800 billion and Microsoft are the four and and book fall I think it's the seventh um, highest market cap and this phenomenon occurred in the last 10 years 10 years ago or uh, companies in market cap in the world were Exxon Walmart uh, China Petroleum and China Industrial and Commercial Bank. I mean, it's just a complete turnaround in 10 years of listings. And uh, this is an amazing development. And uh, it's, it's the triumph of the past paradigm that I see as giving way to a new uh, Bell's Law regime with a new computer architecture that actually can provide successfully provide security as a foundation for a new network for global commerce. 
and that is, uh, and this doesn't mean that these companies are going to disappear. It just means uh, that they're no longer the the leading edge. They're uh, they're the mature crest of the of the past wave, and uh, the new wave is the cryptocosm. These thousands of startups that uh, resemble a lot the thousands of startups from which the previous generation of giants uh, began their embryonic life. No, this is a, this is, this is fascinating. I have so many different thoughts that are going through my, through my head. I, I, so let me, let me ask you, let me ask you this. So you mentioned the, the entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial phase. Okay, which is going on right now? Would you talk to us about the, the those different phases? So, what comes after the entrepreneur phase, uh, and 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 so forth? Does that make sense? Sure. The, after the entrepreneurial phase, uh, you begin uh, de- you develop real markets for you for your products and uh, with real prices, and and one of the key insights of many of the entrepreneurs in the cryptocosm is that new forms of payment will be necessary. Uh, That uh, using payment systems that are external to the internet is not going to work. That uh, sending all this personal data back and forth across the internet and beyond the internet just creates a temptation for hacking and and theft and fraud. So, so this is uh, so they're developing new forms of micropayments, and I think one of the uh, companies to follow is Brave. The it's uh, it's uh, Brendan Ike's latest browser project. I don't know most people. Recall Brendan's the uh, founder of Firefox and Mozilla, but before that he was a, the, a key figure, if not the key figure, in Netscape, where he uh, invented JavaScript and uh, also uh, incorporated your SSL layer in uh, web pages and and really. Uh, created the foundations for uh, the existing internet and the browser. And he, so he's involved with the first browser at Netscape and uh, uh, the Firefox browser that competed with the Explorer of, of um, Microsoft, what he thought had a monopoly. And now he's d- developed the Brave browser and it, uh, incorporate a whole new economy in its constitution. It's, uh, it, uh, uh, from advertisers disperses money for, to content holders and publishers that, uh, it losers for, uh, um, watching ads that they want to see. It ruins the whole uh, structure of the internet and overthrows the top-down 
pyramid currently have where all the money and power rises to the top and replaces it with a bottom-up internet where individuals have rises and can participate across the net. So, so the Brave Browser, which has been written by, uh, you know, arguably one of the greatest uh, figures in the history of computer science, certainly in browser uh, science, is, um, is a major factor. It's got a 4 million users or something now. It's, it's growing and it's, he's suing Google in Europe, under, which uh, is kind of brazen. But uh, it's the Brave browser, <laughs> and uh, it's not perfect, but he's working on it, and I, I wouldn't bet against Brendan. So let me, hopefully this doesn't distract us, but if you look at these, these super-powered tech companies that, you, that you've mentioned, and they are, you know, they're, they're known for buying up companies, and, you know, and that's one of the ways in which they increase their value. Are they, what's their involvement yeah, in the increase up. of blockchain? Well, they're buying up companies and they're uh, uh, buying up their shares, consuming themselves, they're cannibals. Hmm. Uh, but uh, they, uh, uh, they are committed to a particular internet structure that is obsolescent and under attack and they block various blockchains that confer various small advantages but uh the real use of the blockchain is as a new computer architecture for the entire internet and that's that uh and an a revolution on the internet and and uh yes apple and google and amazon and all the rest are are going to be uh using it some of them have uh better prospects in my view than others i think that uh amazon and apple really know how to how to collect money from customers and that's an important Skill. It means they are engaged in the most important activity in capitalism, which is learning. They're involved in learning curves, and uh, and learning curves are guided by prices that are real prices rather than prices guaranteed by government or or. A, zero prices that uh, actually just uh, eclipse the learning process. So, so I think uh, Amazon and Apple are better prospects uh, to be enormously profitable in the next era than Google and Facebook do uh, because they're trying to uh, use a free strategy and uh, free strategy has this learning liability that I think is crippling in a worldwide capitalist economy. 
very good point. And most of their Chinese uh, rivals, by the way, are, are better at collecting money than uh, than Google. They don't uh, depend almost exclusively on advertising, which yeah. I think is a great mistake. That's a great point. You know, uh, one of the things that Brendan Eich observes is that the current advertising model really doesn't work on uh, smartphones. I mean, they uh, about thirty uh, percent of all the bandwidth use in smartphones is for downloading advertisements and trackers that most of the time you don't and which slow down uh, the operation of your smartphone and uh, these ads have only a click rate of about 0.06% and half of them roughly are clicked in mis by mistake. <laughs> so the in intentional uh, click rate is about 0.03%, which is a spam rate, essentially. As if you're sending out millions of years uh, to find a few gullible uh, people who want to send money to Nigerian princes, <laughs> you can uh, accept a 0.03% click rate. But for the rest of us, that's spam. And uh, so, so a new has to be developed for the for the smartphone, and uh, they haven't done it yet. Hmm. Well, let me let me take a, a little tangent here because you met you mentioned something, but then but went right right back to the topic at hand, which is which is government. So how how are you are looking at the government as far as their their influence uh, and and do you see the innovation that is in its entrepreneurial phase right now not only uh, displacing some you know technologies and businesses that are on the verge of, of obsolescence uh, but also with with regards to uh, government do you see do you see anything there that will replace some of the roles of government which you know, obviously it could be a lot more of a sticky situation than the displacement of a business. Well, uh, I believe that uh, the current government model, just as the current internet security model is essentially bankrupt, the current model of, of, uh, of I wrote a book called The Scandal of Money, which preceded life after Google, and they both make the same argument in different ways, both discuss coin and cryptocurrencies. But uh, the biggest industry in the world economy today is not IT or computers or internet or any or steel or food or anything else it's currency trading 5.1 trillion dollars a day 
of currency trading. That's about 25 times all global GDP, 73 times roughly all trade in goods and services. And it's one function is to allow central banks to uh, print money to uh, pursue the most quixotic projects of their governments around the, around the world and uh, generate new debt at a level that is not finally sustainable. We now have some $250 trillion of global debt, uh, four or five times all global GDP. And uh, it's just not uh, a way to proceed. If, you, if uh, uh, as uh, I've just come back from China, where a major Chinese uh, a monetary theorist named Andrew Shank uh, said that the central banks of the world have discovered that there's zero marginal cost to money creation. Well, that's uh, that can last for a little while, but uh, you can't just uh, print money at will and uh, impose debt at will and without um, um, you know having consequences. And and I think there's going to be some kind of reckoning that's going to face all the central banks. And when that happens, uh, I think that uh, the availability of a new global money uh, founded in uh, that, as uh, Satoshi Nakamoto thought he was mimicking created Bitcoin, he made some errors that make it not completely viable as an alternative goal. But the crypto movement's going to get it right at some point, and uh, we'll establish a new global money that governmental central bank uh, fiat currencies as uh, definitely uh, inferior, and uh, the world will return to a single money as a as it pursued 300 years of the ascent of capitalism where uh, most of them conducted in, under the gold standard when there was one global money. You know, there are lots of currencies, but one uh, money, they all translated into their value in gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, uh, and I, I believe that, uh, that, uh, the cryptocurrencies are going to reestablish that kind of single standard for money because money isn't uh, just a figment of a central bank or a magic wand for central bankers and politicians. It's, it's something real. It's a measuring stick. It's, uh, it's uh, rooted in physical constants, just like all the other measuring sticks are. The meter, the second, the pier, the mole, uh, kilogram, uh, all of them all uh, 
have roots in physical constants. The physical, the root of all these physical constants is time. What remains scarce when everything else becomes abundant is time. And as as uh, a way of translating the real scarcities of time into the world economy, I think money uh, has to have this kind of scarcity. And it doesn't because it, you know, like, like you were saying, a, a measurement of length and an inch or a yard, you, you can't really manipulate that. Uh, but the, the standardization that clears, you know, transactions of value is manipulated all the time. Yep. All right. So let's, I want to right. trend. And, Go ahead. Sorry. That's, that's right. And uh, time is absolutely fundamental. It's kind of a, and it has specific characteristics. It doesn't close off in 2142 as Bitcoin does. It, uh, it, it has a permanent pace yeah. of passage that uh, is uh, the clock for uh, all human activities. Yeah. And it's, it's the fundamental scarcity. And money has to reflect this fundamental scarcity, real money. That's a fascinating point. Okay, I, we don't have very much time. I, I, mean, <laughs> I would love just to have a conversation about that. Uh, but what, what I wanted you uh, to comment on before we concluded the, the interview is kind of pivoting back to uh, blockchain and computing and, and where you see uh, big data and artificial intelligence, business, you know, uh, machine learning uh, fitting, into, fitting into the mix? Well, I, I believe that artificial intelligence is a real technology. It's very valuable. It creates jobs. It enhances human minds. It doesn't displace them or transcend them or usurp them. It's uh, meaningless without human beings to use it. Uh, so uh, I think that Silicon Valley has adopted a new theology of artificial intelligence that's, that's uh, simply a bogus religion. They imagine that robots will gradually obtain minds and consciousness and wills and project themselves into outer space beyond our reach or even <laughs> comprehension and solve the problems of physics, generate new physical laws, uh, be life 3.0, as uh, Max Tegmark of MIT says, and as the Google people uh, kind of believe, so I, I think that is a really delusional idea that uh, okay, it yeah. fundamentally misunderstands computer science the limits of a, of a machine. Um, a machine is a deterministic entity that, uh, and it, uh, it uh, can't really generate new information because information under Shannon is defined as uh, 
those elements not uh, determined by the machine, by the surprising elements. Uh, if a machine suffers surprise, it's breaking down most of the time. Uh, surprise in human creativity is a positive and, and uh, promising. So it's there are two different categories of uh, of uh, processing, and uh, to mingle them together and assume that human minds are machines is is just a fundamental category error. It just is. It's it's not it's not it's not really debatable, especially. It's it's just a mistake. I agree. I agree with you. I mean, the cre- the creativity that comes from you know the human mind is uh, uh, and how that that whole process works is is you know in my opinion not possible through through machines. I would say from an artificial intelligence standpoint, it uh, it helps enhance human creativity. Yeah, I think uh, this is one of the main subjects of life after Google. I really explore artificial intelligence and. And compare it to human mind. I mean, human minds uh, use 14 watts, 12 to 14 watts. Uh, these big computer systems that are supposedly outperforming humans are not only completely programmed by humans, uh, and uh, <laughs> all their boundaries are set by humans, but also use gigawatts, ultimately, <laughs> and are linked to worldwide networks uh, they're, they're just a completely different phenomenon than uh, human minds which are the ultimate fourth 14 um, creators in the image of their creator hmm. well this has been George this has been a fast fascinating conversation and uh, yeah, I'm going to go pick up, uh, pick up why well, I actually bought the book. I haven't, it's not, is it in, uh, it's audiobook format as well. I was going to download that, it's but this all, is all book formats. It's in five book formats. It's out in China. I think it's coming out in Japan and Poland and other places. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's very much available. So yeah, and we'll post everything. Yeah, and we'll post everything on our show notes. But yeah, life, uh, life after life after Google, and it, it, yeah, I can't wait to read it. I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip some of the books that I was uh, intending on reading to read this. All right. So the final the final thing I'd like to know, if if you'd be willing, is is to maybe share who have, who have been the, the your mentors, the icons that helped shape your uh, philosophy. Uh, and then who, you know, in the past, and then who are you looking to uh, today that, uh, that are providing you with that similar inspiration? Well, uh, um, it was, uh, it's certainly my life was changed by uh, reading Art Laffer and Mundell, Robert Mundell and Jude Winiski, who was the pioneer at uh, the Wall Street Journal of Supply Side Economics. And, you know, I, I certainly uh, benefited a lot from their thinking, and I still do. And Irving Crystal, 
who was a Wall Street Journal columnist for decades and just uh, an absolutely wise and and uh, important man. Uh, National Review. I followed National Review all through my uh, development, but I also always focused on reading uh, both sides. I always uh, I read. Uh, I debated Lester Thoreau and Robert Reich for and Bob. Butner, all left philosophers, left uh, economists, intellectuals for decades, and. I learned a lot from them. It it really helps to understand the mind of your critics. And I, I always think you should know your critics' theory better than they do. Absolutely. I, I, was, a gr- I was a great reader of Karl Marx. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, thus I could identify Marxism when it arose in the guise of the Google philosophy. <laughs> and then who do you who are you looking to today for the first that's in the first chapter of life after google i i describe google marxism <laughs> so who today are you are you following or consider uh icons that that you you know seek uh your, your inspiration or ideas or ideas from or, or respect as the uh pioneers well, of some of the things you're following yeah, well, certainly Ray Kurzweil has been a really important inspiration and source for decades. I've been reading everything Ray produces, and he's kind of a counterpoint to Life After Google. I've, I mean, a lot of his insights are absolutely true and valuable. But I think there are certain flaws in some of his projections, and so I talk about them. But certainly, uh, Kurz has been an important guide to me. I'm currently reading a book that uh, Ari Emanuel, my, uh, one of my partners in several companies, he sent me uh, The Content Trap by Bharat Anand, and that, that's a fascinating book that I'm deep into. Um, you know, Jaron Lanier has written some really great stuff about siren servers, which are the new, uh, the servers that purport to learn from big data and answer all the questions of the universe but in fact have uh, serious limitations. Jaron here is, even though I don't exactly agree with his critique of, of uh, social networks, he says we should all throw away our social networks. I, I think that is, uh, is an exaggerated reaction. But, but I think he, his uh, books about We're Not Gadgets and his books on the future have really been brilliant. So I, there, and I read the, the light read and uh, electronic engineering times and IEEE spectrum and all these uh, technology publications very devotedly. 
So I, I read a lot of stuff. I'm reading all the time. That seems to be, I'm chiefly uh, 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 reading and absorbing uh, the best work of the minds of this era. Well, George, I would say you're among them. I mean, this has been a fascinating conversation. You're definitely versed in, you know, not just where things uh, are and are going technologically speaking, but uh, I, I uh, resonate with a lot of the uh, philosophical points you've made. And so thank you. Thank you for spending some time. I, I guarantee the audience is going to get uh, a lot out of this, a lot out of this interview. Uh, so what are ways which they can, uh, other than the uh, other than the book, which we will make sure that it is posted in our different postings, but what are other ways that the audience could, could follow you or, or uh, hear what you're up to? Well, I, I think the book is a good place to start. I also have uh, Forbes uh, Forum Telecosm Lounge, which is a, a, a newsletter, Forbes newsletter. It's actually... Um, online and it's a subscription service and I'm on that uh, pretty regularly and, uh, but uh, you know I'm all I'm I'm not hard to reach I'm okay. all over the internet and YouTube and wherever you want to look George thank you again so much for your time today it's been uh, an incredible interview and it keep keep it up keep uh keep writing i mean the, i i can't wait to read uh, your your most recent uh recent book but thank you again for what you do and uh we'll be in touch thank you so much patrick appreciate it take care thank you for joining us as the wealth standard podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life liberty and property be sure to leave us a review on itunes and we'll see you on the next one